for loving us in Christ. God, here's what we can do. We want to give you our lives. We want to serve you by the power that you place in us through your Holy Spirit. God, thank you for inviting us into a relationship, a divine romance with you. Father, as we come to your word this morning to learn more about your nature, we want to ask that you will cause us to see, to understand things in your word we've not seen before, and that your Holy Spirit will have complete sway to bring understanding, encouragement, challenge to our thinking. Dear God, please, we ask to be glorified this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you today. It's good to see the ones that are in town. We have a lot of folks that are out of town. We want them to have a good time and a safe trip back to us. But um, today we're continuing in our series on the major doctrines of the Bible. And today we're talking about the Trinity. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, the Trinity... We didn't call it the mediocre doctrines of the Bible. <laughs> These are big doctrines. And uh, frankly, the Trinity is the oldest discussion in the history of the church. But we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Before we start on that, I want to talk with you a little bit about the uh, trip we just got back from with some from the fellowship. You'd be so proud of how your people represented the kingdom and just the good work that was done. Andrew teaching on songwriting, just with an encouragement and and how to lead and be a, a team uh, pastor. And Donna teaching on org organization, imagine that. Donna on organization, she is captain organization. But anyway, did a great job. And then Scott and Hazel, boy, they were wonderful. Um, the brother there, Jeff, uh, who was here a few weeks ago, came up to me and said, good grief, Hazel is such a servant, and I think she might be like an angel from God or something. There were three or four times that I was thinking about something. I said, how in the world am I going to do this? And I looked up and Hazel was standing there and said, hi there. Do you need anything done for you? And just always appeared. So it was really, it was really a good time. And one of the most encouraging things about it was they're saying, they're calling Europe the new dark continent because of the um, secularism, secularism that's going on there and rejection of uh, Christianity. And the really encouraging thing was how many young people were there who are committed to getting an education that will provide them a living so that they can uh, make money for their family and serve the kingdom as effectively as possible because they know they'll never be able to be hired by a church in Europe. And so they are looking for jobs that will make money and leave them enough spare time to serve the kingdom well. We were really encouraged by all the young people that were there. 23 people there the whole time, and then others came in and out, and um, it was just a really good time. Now, um, uh, we're going to be talking this morning about the Trinity. As I said, I sent Troy 60 verses last night, so his hands are going to be blazing back there, flipping through all of the overheads. Um, uh, I also sent them to Jason Cotting, who has put them somewhere so that you can find them somehow. You can ask Jason. I don't know. What do I know? But anyway, I'm just trying to be helpful, see? But, um, you know, one of the tragedies of the kingdom is that 
we argue about doctrines that we do not understand in totality, to say the least, and we spend more time throwing rocks at one another inside the house than we spend outside the house looking for new folks to bring inside the house. And when we allow doctrine to become the point of argument and distraction away from what we've been called to do for the kingdom, then doctrine has become a tragedy. And it is right for us, it is good for us to know what the Bible says on these things. But for crying out loud, to quit the arguing and to quit the banishing others to heresy, if we can just get to the work of getting folks saved based on our best understanding, our best attempt to understand what God's Word, the Bible, has to say. So let's look first off in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and then we're going to go from there. It says, great indeed, we confess, another way of saying it, without controversy, there's no disputing the fact, we agree, great is the mystery of godliness. It's bigger than we understand. And here it is. <clears throat> he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And we look at that and go, great is the mystery of godliness. And we can look at that in America and say, well, what does it really matter? I mean, it's no real big deal. And it's easy for us to say that because we have never been faced with the challenge that these people were faced with. And there are many in our world today who are still faced with the challenge of, you either deny that Jesus is Lord of all or we're going to kill you. It's, it's easy for us to say, sure, Jesus is Lord. This is America. We can say that. But friends, there are places in the world today and there are places that these people were facing where if you said Jesus was Lord, you know, in Albania, we have a book that was 30 years old. It was new when we bought it. But when we, 30 years ago in Albania, if you said you were a Christian, you were executed on the spot. No wonder they had the lowest Christianity rate of any nation in Europe. And they, these people were living in a day where they faced the exact same reality because Rome had come in. Rome had come in and said, we don't care who you worship. We don't care how many gods you have. We don't care what you want to worship. You want to worship your next door neighbor's chihuahua, knock yourself out. Kill it, put it up on a pedestal. That'd be the best way to worship that. But anyway, um, he didn't really say that. No, he didn't say that. But anyway, we don't care if you, <laughs> if you want... Somebody said, oh, yes, he did say that. If you, we don't care if you want to worship your neighbor's chihuahua. You can do that. But you have to say Caesar is Lord. Caesar is ultimate. Caesar is overall. Caesar is the highest in the pantheon of the gods. Now, this Jesus guy, if you want to worship Jesus, we don't care. Knock yourself out. But your ultimate confession must be that Caesar is Lord. And if you don't agree with us, here's what we're going to do. Just as an added bonus, <laughs> we're going to throw you to the lions. We're going to dip you in oil and set you on fire as a tiki lamp for the emperor's garden party. We're going to kill you through any number of sort of ways. If you try and say Jesus is Lord, we will kill you. And when people started hearing that, they came to the question, which is extremely reasonable, of is Jesus worth dying for who is this guy if if he's not worth dying for then i don't know that i want to make this confession so we need to know who he is and so what they did they got church leaders from all over the known world at the time they brought them all together in this 
city called Nicaea. And they said, we're going to talk about and we're going to come to a conclusion, a final statement on who the church is going to say Jesus Christ is. If he's just a good teacher, if he's just a nice doobie, that's great. But I'm not going to die for a nice guy. But if he is God, then the whole discussion changes. And so they sat down in Nicaea, and to talk about this issue, they said they wanted to know the answer to, is Jesus similar to the Father, or is he the same as the Father? Is he similar substance to the Father, or is he the exact same substance as the Father? And those two versions, those two extremes, are wrapped up in two words, okay? Homoousius and homoousius. Those are such fun words to say. Let's say them together. Homoousius and homoousius, separated by one letter. And Edward Gibbon, the historian who wrote the, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, said the Christian church was almost divided by the very smallest letter in the entire Greek alphabet, the, the Yoda. Aoda, Yoda, Yoda, Yoda. Anyway, <laughs> these two words, is he similar to or is he the same as? And there are several who addressed themselves to this question. One of them was a guy named Sibelius. We'll call him Lenny. Lenny said, Jesus absolutely is God. He is the exact same as God. He's not different than, he's not less than, he is God. And you want to know how God he is? Let me tell you how God he is. Jesus is so God. That when Jesus was born, when he was manifest on the earth in Bethlehem, the Father ceased to be and became Jesus of Nazareth. And for 33 years, this was what Lenny Sibelius taught, for 33 years, God in the flesh was Jesus. And at the end of those 33 years, when he ascended to heaven and then the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, he ceased to be Jesus and became Jesus the Holy Spirit. He expressed himself, one God, in different modes. We call it today modalism, and there are a lot of denominations that still hold to it. Um, that, that it's not three personages with one nature, that it's just one God who expressed himself in three different ways. You want to know how God he is? That's how God he is. Okay, had a noble birth, Sabalianism, but the problem with it is Things such as the baptism of Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration, when we hear all three of them, see all, see all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it doesn't take into account those. And so there was this other guy who said, well, no, they're not the exact same, but they are similar. His name was Arius. Let's call him, let's call him Arius. And Arius said, no, Jesus is not the exact same. He's similar to, similar to, but he's not the exact same. He's kind of like God's little boy. He's the offspring. He's the byproduct of God. Now, he's a great guy, but he's not the exact same as. And those two arguments were wrapped up in those two words, homoousius, homoousius. One is very similar to, the other is the exact same as. And what Nicaea came up with, I have my three little cups, Don, I had to get them for me because I forgot them again today had them a couple of weeks ago, they came up with the word consubstantial. They are of the same substance, the substance that is below them, that substanding, what they stand on, what's under them that they stand on is the exact same. 
What makes the Father God makes the Son God makes the Holy Spirit God. They are one in substance. And Arius said, no, because one's a little bit lower than. The interesting point is that Jesus said in John 14, he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. Another. Now, he could have used a couple of words there. One of those words means another of a similar but different type. Okay? I have two cars outside. I have a Ferrari and another one, which is a Yugo. How many of you know what a Yugo? How many of you have never heard of a Yugo? They were this disposable car, kind of like a matchbox, but you could fit in it. But anyway... Another of a completely different type. That's one of the words that Jesus could have used when he said there's going to be another comforter, but that's not the word he used. The word that he used is the other word available, which is another of the exact same type. Whatever you see in me will be, in the, will be the comforter. We will be of the exact same nature. And G. Campbell Morgan said that they are so alike that it, it's almost possible to call the Holy Spirit the other Christ. And so when they came to this discussion, how can we know if Jesus is worth dying for? How can we know if he is God? How can we know if the Holy Spirit is God, which was settled at a, a later council? What does the Bible have to say about this? And this is what we're going to look at this morning in three sections. First off, we're going to look at what is the Trinity and why do we believe in it? Uh, secondly, we're going to look at what makes God, God. And then thirdly, we're going to look at how they work together. So first off, what is the Trinity and why do we believe in it? Over and over, the Bible tells us that there is exactly how many gods? One. Exactly one God. That's what it tells us over and over. I believe it was Arthur W. Pink who said there is a greater distance between one and two than there is between zero and one because one allows the existence of, but two allows the existence of millions. There's one God. And we worship that one God in probably the most recited verse in all of Judaism is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one God. First Kings chapter 8, the Lord is God, there is no other. First Chronicles 17, there is none like you, O Lord, there is no God beside you. Psalm 86, you alone are God. Isaiah 44, I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no God. All the way through, the Bible teaches us that there is one God. And we go, well, I believe that. I believe there's one God. And then we're going to put our little addendums or amendments on down there at the bottom. No, we can't do that. Well, I believe there's one God. Well, good for you. <laughs> because James 2 says, you believe in one God, good for you. The demons believe and tremble. Listen, a relationship with Jesus is more than having the right doctrine. There is a relationship, there's a fellowship, there's a communion that he invites us into. It is not about having all of our I's dotted and T's crossed properly. It's about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, I believe in one God. Congratulations. Have you accepted? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? And so the Bible says there is exactly one God. And yet that one God is manifest in three expressions all the way through the Bible, which says there's only one God. <laughs> so how do you figure it out? How do you put those two seemingly disparate truths together? I marked one time in a, one of my Bibles, reading through the New Testament, and 
marked every verse that a member of the Godhead was mentioned. And I put an X out there for how many were mentioned. And it's cool to go back through that Bible and see the X's out in the margin for one, two, and all three in a, in a single verse. It was a fascinating little study. And it's interesting that the church has always taught a triunity. Now, well, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. Well, you're right, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. But the Trinity's in there. All three of them are in there. In the very first sermon of the church, Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up and said, This Jesus, God, has raised up, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The very first sermon, Jesus was raised by the Father who has sent the Holy Spirit. And in the very last chapter of the book, Revelation chapter 22, all three are mentioned there. When it talks about there's a river flowing from the throne of God, we hear the Son declare, Behold, I come quickly. And the Spirit, in response, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. All the way from the beginning of the church to the end of the writing, we see this Trinity mentioned. We see the work of the various members of the Godhead. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 2. Through Jesus, we have access by the Spirit to the Father. Friends, that's the whole point. Through Jesus, we have access by the Spirit to the Father. The Father is the one who said, let's, let's create these people so that we can have fellowship with them not because he needed us not because they didn't have enough enjoyment and communion among themselves because they had complete communion among themselves but they punched each other they punched themselves and they said this is so great let's share this and they created humanity and the father's idea was let's have a people that we can have fellowship with and we're going to have jesus be the one who's going to make the way back to the father and holy spirit you're going to be the one who's going to tell them about jesus and so for that reason, through Jesus, we do have access by one Spirit back to the Father. And Jesus is the means through whom the Spirit directs us to the Father. In Ephesians 1, it says, We were chosen by the Father because we placed our hope in Christ. We made the choice to choose to believe in Christ. And the Holy Spirit has been placed inside of us as a seal, as a down payment on our eternity. Ephesians 4 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but forgive one another as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. All three of them right there. Over and over, we see all three personalities and expressions. But look, if, we have to ask ourselves, if Deuteronomy 6 says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Matthew 3, when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of God descended like a dove. And the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. If you have Deuteronomy 6 saying there's one God and Matthew 3 obviously saying there are three personalities, how do we make those two come together? How do we make them fit together? So what we do is we go to the Bible. We examine the Bible to see what it has to say about each one and ask ourselves this question. Do each of these three members of the Godhead possess individually attributes which can be ascribed only to God? Do each member of the Trinity possess attributes which belong only to God? So, let's go to number two. What makes God God? Why is he God and I'm not? 
I mean, this is America. Can I vote on this thing? No, you can't. What is it about God that makes him so other than us? Do you realize there are some attributes of God that we can grow in? You have communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. There are communicable attributes of God that we can increase in. Give me an attribute of God that we can grow in. What is one? Love. God is love. Can we grow in love? Gavin, you said wisdom. Is God wisdom? Can we grow in wisdom? These are communicable. What's another one? Do what? Mercy. We can grow in mercy. How about forgiveness? How about generosity? All of these are communicable attributes of God. Now, there are some attributes which we cannot receive, that which we will never become. Give me an attribute of God that is incommunicable. Do what? Omniscient. Now, you know, first service, I said, I don't know if we should say this in front of the kids because I always told my kids, mom and daddy know everything and you're never strong when you're dead. But the reality is, parents don't know everything. They're not omniscient. Kids don't hear that. But God is omniscient. God does know everything. Give me another incommunicable attribute of God. Do what? Omnipresent. He's everywhere. Aren't you thankful that you don't have to schedule an appointment? Oh, golly gee, I wonder if God will do, God's available for the wedding day. If you have to make an appointment with them, they're not God. Because God is everywhere, always. Okay? Give me another attribute of God that you are not, have not been and will never be. Do what? One more time. Omnipotent. Omnipotent has the power to do whatever his will determines. What is it that makes God, God? What we're going to do is ask ourselves two questions. First off, what does the Bible say is true of God, which is not true of us? And secondly, do those attributes of God apply to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Okay, so let's start with some attributes. We're going to look at four attributes. First off, eternally self-existent. Eternally self-existent. Never had a point in time of generation. Never had, then there was never a time when they were not. Are you eternally self-existent? No. Neither am I. Is God the Father? Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is your dwelling place. Psalm 90. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This could go on forever. The Son, Hebrews chapter 7. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. And the Son of God continues as a priest forever. And he possesses, according to Hebrews 7, 16, the power of an indestructible life. Is Jesus eternally self-existent? The Holy Spirit, is he? We've already looked at this one in John 14. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. But in Hebrews 9, it says, May the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience. The Holy Spirit 
is eternally self-existent, just like the Son is eternally self-existent, just like the Father is. How about creative? Can you create? Are you creative? Not like that. Not like that. There's not one of us that can go out here and say, I just see clouds of marshmallows with rainbows of Skittles. And it happened. Now, are you able to, are you creative? Can you act creatively? Are you creating or are you constructing? There's a very real difference. Because God takes absolutely nothing <laughs> and makes what? Everything. And we take what he left lying about the workshop floor and we construct it into. Now, we can do that creatively, but we are not making the raw materials and God is able to do that. He is creative. In Genesis 1-1, the Father, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Can you do that? And he just sat there and punched him. He's, make, he's making all this stuff, and he said, this is going to be so cool. They're going to love this, and the funny thing is, they're going to think it made itself. This is hysterical. <laughs> is Jesus creative? John 1, 3, all things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that has been made. Is the Holy Spirit creative? Genesis 1, 3, and the Spirit of God brooded, hovered, like a mother hen over our eggs, over the face of the deep. Job 33, 4, Job said, Your spirit has created me and given me life. The Father, the Son, the Spirit are all creative. How about the will and the ability to make it happen? Do you have a will? Do you have a will of what you would like to see happen? Do you have a will of what you would like to see happen? You know, I have a will. I would like for it to, and I don't mean, you know, one of those dead people wills. We have one of those. And where there's a will, there's a family fight. You know that. But I have a will that it not get above my perfect temperature of 79 degrees. What's the problem with me having that will? It ain't going to happen. <laughs> there's nothing I can do about it. It's going to get, it's already hotter than that out there, right? But God has a will and has the ability to make it happen. The Father has a will, 2 Corinthians 9. God is able. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Genesis 1, 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And now we can pray in Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus has a will and is able to make it happen. Matthew chapter 8, the leper came up to him and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus looked at him and said four words. Do you know what they were? I will be clean. And immediately the leper was cleansed. Jesus had a, has a will and has the ability to make it happen. And friends, the Holy Spirit in the same way has a will and has the ability to make it happen. In 1 Corinthians 12, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. It says all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit has a will and the ability to make it happen. And when Paul was trying to go up into Asia Minor, the doors just kept closing and closing and closing. Why? Because they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. 
Friends, the Holy Spirit has a will and the ability to accomplish it. Lastly, let's look one more. They're everywhere all at once. Everywhere all at once. Is God the Father everywhere all at once? Jeremiah chapter 23. I am God. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not the God afar off? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Jesus is everywhere. He said in Matthew 18, For where two or more are gathered together in my name around my purposes about what I'm interested in, where two or more are gathered together in my name, what? I'm there. Do you realize that there are two or more gathered right now in some far, far reach of the world? And the Jesus who is present with us right now is what? Present with them right now. Matthew 28, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Is the Holy Spirit present everywhere at all times? Psalm 139, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And when Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, it must have been really cramped in there, because in Luke chapter 1 it says, And he was filled with the Spirit, what? From his mother's womb. When we look at these attributes of God and so many others, we see each member of the Godhead possesses all these attributes and so many others. And yet, Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It is wisdom for us to pursue what the Bible has to say about this so we can best understand how God reveals himself to us. It is a struggle, and it's right to struggle. It's right to wrestle with it. It's right to work this thing out and understand as best we possibly can the applications and implications of these truths. Because each member of the Godhead has a personality distinct from the others, and yet the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now we look at this and say, well, okay, let's come up with an analogy. All right, let's come up with an analogy. We can say that a man is a son, a father, and a husband all at once. Kind of like that. No, it's not. I'm, I'm sorry. It's not kind of like that. Because while I am a father, while I am a son, and while I am a husband... It's one personality. It's one personality. But the Bible makes it clear that the father has a personality because he can laugh in, in Psalm chapter 2 at those who say there is no God. That Jesus has a personality when he stands over Jerusalem and he says, he's, he's brought to will. Oh, Jerusalem, how I would have brought you like a mother hen, but you wouldn't have anything to do with me. He can feel the rejection of that moment. And the Holy Spirit has a personality because he can be made to grieve in Ephesians 4 with how we treat one another. But I'm just one. Whether I'm a son, a husband, or a father, I'm still just the one personality. So that analogy doesn't work. So let's try an analogy of an egg. That one doesn't work. That one doesn't work either. Because they each have separate essence, separate nature. When you make, a, when you make an omelet, listen, you know the difference between an, an egg white omelet and a real omelet, don't you? Don't you? And you also know when that little bitty fleck of shell got left in there, right? They are of different substance. They are of different nature. So an egg really doesn't work either. And so let's use the analogy of water. It can be ice, water, or steam. The problem with that is it can't be ice, water, and steam all at the same time. 
and our God is. Three personalities, three expressions, all at the same time, completely one in nature, one in substance. So the only analogy that we can come up with is, I have absolutely no clue. But I think that's what the Bible says. And we look at it, and we, we can honestly say there is reason behind believing this. And with our best efforts, we understand that God's Word, the Bible, is saying there is one God who is eternally expressed in three persons, each contributing to the creation, redemption, and purification of humanity for the purpose of bringing us into eternal fellowship with the Father. And we look at that and say, it doesn't make sense. I get it. And I'm not saying, well, some things you just have to accept by faith. Let's quit saying that to people. That drives folks nuts. Let's not say that to folks. Faith in what? You? No. Let's look at what the Bible has to say. And try our best to understand what it has to say. That Jesus is eternally self-existent. He is creative. He is the holy sacrifice of God. Sent to pay for the sins of humanity and is the only means of access to the Father. Jesus is first. He is last. He is the love of God to us because he bore the judgment of God for us. And there is salvation in no one other than him. And that salvation is a free gift that cannot be earned or deserved. And friends, people can argue the Trinity doesn't make sense, doesn't exist. I get it. But I think if you're willing to look at what the Bible has to say in the matter, that it would also be able to say, I can see how you get there. It can be considered a reasonable conclusion. So what is it that makes God, God? It's those attributes which are wholly other than us, which he has eternally possessed without improvement and without a point of generation. This is what makes God, God. Let's look thirdly, how they work together. How they work together. God created humanity, a humanity with whom he could enjoy fellowship, could share the communion that the Trinity has had from beginning of existence. And he made these creatures all the way along, and then on that last day he said, hey, this is going to be cool, let's, let's do this. Let's make man in our image after our likeness, and we're going to share with them some of the authority over the earth that we have. And so God created humanity for the purpose of fellowship with him, and invited them into a love relationship with the Godhead. And we, through our proto-parents, Adam and Eve, looked at God and said, no, we want to go our own way. And when Jesus came walking in the garden in the cool of the day, he found in Genesis chapter 3 that we had hid ourselves among the trees because we didn't want to be found out by God. But God pursued a relationship with them, he pursued a relationship and introduced himself to Abraham and said, listen, I just want to be your God. I'll make you my people and I'll be your God and your descendants. I will be their God. They will be my people. I'll be their God. 
And they looked at him and said, no. And they went down into Egypt, and God came down into Egypt and said, I'm going to deliver you, and I'm going to be your God. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to bring you into a land, and I'll be your God there. And they said, no. <laughs> they said, we want a king. We don't want you. We want a king. And so God gave them a king, and all of the terrible things that happened to them, God still looked at them in Jeremiah 30, hundreds of years later, the ones who had rejected him over and over and said, you will be my people. I will be your God. And they said, no. And when they refused to have anything to do with them, he showed them and he showed us how serious he is about a relationship with us when he sent Jesus to show us what it looks like to live a life for God. To be able to honestly say in John chapter 5, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does also. And Jesus is the one who met us in the filth of our pig pen. And he came to show us what the father is like. Because John 14, whoever has seen me has seen the father. And as with the prodigal son, he longs for us in, John, in Luke chapter 15 to come to himself and to recognize there's a home, there's a dad, there's a father. I can go to him. And then to make the choice, the decision, I will get up and I will go home. And therefore, he is able to say, Jesus is able to look at us and say in John chapter 14, I am the way I am the truth, I am the life, and there is no other way to the Father except through me. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Friends, we were created for the express purpose of having relationship, of having communion with a God who is eternally self-existent, who manifests himself in three different personages. Didn't need us, didn't need us, had communion with himself, but said, this is so great. We got to tell people about this and created us and said, come on over. And when we said no and we built a wall between us and God, I don't want to, you stay over there, I'll stay over here. That wall had to come down. And the price of bringing that wall down was paid in the death of Jesus when he said, I will suffer the consequences of their actions. And Jesus died on the cross for us. And isn't it a fascinating reality? The Jews had no problem with the duality of the Godhead. They had no problem. They knew the Father existed. They knew the Holy Spirit existed. The Holy Spirit had talked to prophets for hundreds of years. When the angel came to Joseph and said, Mary is pregnant by, by the work of the Holy Spirit, he didn't go, the what? <laughs> He's completely at home with the duality of the Godhead. But friends, you throw in Jesus, now we're going to have a problem. Because people love to talk about God. People love to talk about spirituality. Don't bother me with religion, but I'll, I'll talk about spirituality. Okay, I get it. But you bring up Jesus, and the conversation just went silent, didn't it? Friends, Jesus is the one who prepared the way for us back to the Father. And after Jesus had prepared the way for us to get back to the Father's presence, after he had ascended back to the Father, he made sure in John chapter 15, when the Helper comes, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Do you realize? Look at this. I'm going to count them off here, okay? The members of the Godhead. When the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will bear witness of me. Each member of the Godhead mentioned twice in one verse. Wow. And friends, when the spirit of truth comes, John chapter 16, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And when you hear that message, and when you receive Jesus as your Lord, you give him your life as Lord, and he comes and lives inside of you as your Savior, forgives you of your sin, he places the Holy Spirit inside of you. And at that moment, the Spirit himself bears witness, Romans chapter 8, with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. And Galatians 4 says that because you are sons, because the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you, immovable, never leaving. He puts his arm around our shoulder and pointing to the one who has invited us in the first place. The Spirit says, the Spirit of his Son in our hearts cries, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit puts his arm around your shoulder and says, Abba. He's the one who started this conversation. He's the one who invited us in the first place. Who's your daddy? He's your daddy. Abba, Father. Let me tell you about him. Friends, he is the one by whom we are able to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Our Father, who art in heaven. Who do you pray to? Our Father. Why? Because Jesus has made a way so that we can get back into the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit has come to tell you about the way home. And that Holy Spirit living inside of us, Romans 8, 16, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He works in us. He continues to conform us. He continues the process that was begun in us all the way to the day of the Lord Jesus. He doesn't stop working on us all the while, pointing us to the Father and whispering in our ear, Abba, Father, there's your daddy. Let's go have a talk with him. You're really, you're really going to like this guy. Friends, he continues to whisper, Abba, Father, in our ear until such time as we are able to recognize Romans chapter 8, verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We don't have to hear it. We don't have to rely on somebody else. It's not just the Holy Spirit whispering in here, there's your daddy. No, now we have come to the place where we say, I know who my father is. I know who my father is. I know who my daddy is. And my daddy loves me. We are the ones who call him Abba. Because we've come to our senses. And we have come home. And we call him by the name of Endearment. Had a buddy, Larry Bentley, one of the greatest guys. He just he loves God and loves me, and so thankful for him. Went to Israel one time, and he's riding on a bus in Israel, and there's this kid on the bus, 
um, the quintessential advertisement of the noisy child on the bus, you know. This kid running up and down the aisle. Little boy, has long curly hair, so he's younger than three years old. They cut their hair when they're three. And uh, this kid running up and down, screaming and banging into everybody. And Larry's this big, white, American man, so he looks scary. And um, the kid runs back and forth, and then coming up at Larry, he looks up, and Larry catches his eyes, and Larry looks at him and says, Hey there, little bit. And the kid, what? Turns and runs, you know. And what is he crying all the way back? Abba, 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 Abba. And Larry said, I'd never known what it meant until that day when the kid went running to safety to Abba. Abba, do you know Jesus? Have you allowed Jesus to forgive you of your sins, take control of your life, and lead you back into the presence of your daddy? There's a daddy who cares. There's a daddy who loves. There's a daddy who has given. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior and enjoying the presence of the Father? Listen, (laughs) you're going to find he's not angry. He is forgiving. He is not remote. He is nearby to those who revere him. He is not stingy. He stands with shoe, ring, and robe waiting for those who come to their senses and have set out to go back to the Father. I love the way the Holy, the Trinity, the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit work together in the divine dance to bring us into relationship with them. I want to close with a few sentences out of a book on this topic. It says, the message of the gospel is this. There is a Father who cares. He is not the bumbling buffoon of sitcoms and ads. He is not the lacking or failing example you may have grown up with at home. He is not the angry, absent lack of example which has filled our jails. He is a Father who cares, who bends to help who pursues when despised, who purchases back when spurned, who gives to the last degree. He is a father who cannot get enough of his children. This is who the Bible shows us. This is who Jesus testified of. And this is who the Holy Spirit is directing you toward. He is our Abba. He is our Father. He is the only God of love. Do you know? Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only God, and the Son you've sent. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? If not, we have folks standing around the perimeter of the building this morning love to share with you what God's Word, the Bible, has to say about how you can become a Christian. You can experience forgiveness of sin. You can go to bed tonight with the burden lifted, the weight gone, the sin forgiven. But friends, the vast majority of us in this room, we've accepted Christ. Are you Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to point you to Daddy? Are you daily walking the path that Jesus prepared? Are you regularly experiencing the presence of the Father? If not, why not? When I, in studying for this again, this topic just overwhelms me. Dear God, I'm so glad I cannot understand Him. I like what Vance Havner said. If I could understand him, wouldn't be very much of this little pea brain of a brain could figure it out. I'm so thankful I don't understand it fully. But I've chosen to believe that the Bible is God's word and that it expresses rightly, describes rightly who he is and his desire for a relationship with me. Do you know him? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. 
that in Christ we see you. Because if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. And we don't understand that. We can't figure all that out, but we sure are thankful for it. And that Holy Spirit who is here right now ministering hearts and inviting. God, would you please, by your Holy Spirit, whisper in somebody's ear, there's your daddy. He's your father. He sure does love you. Jesus has paid away so you can get home. Why don't we go on home now? And father in the pig pen, the prodigal son came to his senses. And he said, I will get up and I will go home to my father. Father, bring some home to you today through Jesus. God, for the rest of us who have accepted you, and we want to follow. God, we just confess we want to do better at hearing the voice of your spirit as he points us to Jesus who brings us into your presence where at your right hand are pleasures forevermore God make it so amazing love that welcomes me kindness of mercy so 